Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Before we jump into our teaching, I want you to hear some words that Jesus said to his first followers about the religious leadership and the religious establishment in his day. And so what we're going to hear Jesus say is going to tie into what we're going to look at later. But just listen to what Jesus has to say here. Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, these would be the religious leaders in his day, they sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries, this would be part of the religious paraphernalia that they would have worn, they make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi. For you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so today we're continuing this series that we've been in as a church for several months. It's a series in the letter of 2 Corinthians, a letter that one of the first leaders of the early Christian movement, the Apostle Paul, had written to one of the churches he helped get started. And so if you're brand new today, I'd like just to give a special welcome to you. I'm glad that you're joining us today. And and I hope that you discover why it is that God has brought you here today, even if you don't know that yet. (laughs) But let me catch you up to speed just real quick so as we get ready to jump in, you know where we've been and where we're going today. Paul has written this letter to these Christians living in the city of Corinth because they have been led astray from him as one of their leaders. And so Paul had once upon, once upon a time gotten this church started and then he had gone on his way to do what he'd been called to do to just spread the message of Jesus in the other areas. And in his absence, some other leaders, some other teachers had come into the church and they'd really begin to challenge Paul and who he was. And they were defaming him to the Corinthians. And so one of the charges that they've leveled against Paul is that you can't really trust Paul's message because you can't trust Paul's life. I mean, look at his life. He's a mess. He's constantly getting beaten up. He's constantly getting beaten down. I mean, if God was so great and powerful in Paul's life, why is he constantly being threatened by other people? So basically what they're telling the Corinthians, you can trust us and our message because look at our lives. Look at how great we are. And yet the problem is that the message of Jesus that they're telling this church is not the message Paul had given them. It's, it's more like a prosperity gospel kind of thing. Like, hey, if you follow Jesus, he'll make you healthy, happy, and wise. And if you're sick, that's your problem. 
which is like, what? That doesn't make any sense, especially if you understand the gospel as Paul proclaimed. And so Paul had gotten wind of this, and Paul had written this letter that we've been looking at, 2 Corinthians, and he had sent it ahead of his arrival back to the city of Corinth to prepare them for when he was showing up. And in this letter, Paul has been defending himself to the Corinthians against these accusations. And yet Paul was not writing this letter in defending himself because he was having an ego trip. Paul was writing this letter because he understood what was at stake for the Corinthians, that if they rejected him as one of the messengers of Jesus, they would ultimately reject the message of Jesus he had given them, and they would be buying into a false gospel. And so Paul has been doing a lot of correction, a lot of reminding, a lot of things in this letter that we've been looking at as a church. And in these past couple weeks, we've seen that finally in his letter, he's taken these leaders to task. He's kind of taken them head on and really begin to challenge them to the Corinthians. And so as we continue in our series today, we're jumping into Paul in the middle of full stride, in the middle of a full-on, let's go after these guys, let me paint a picture for who I am, who they are, and why this is right. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up today to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, and go to chapter 11. We're going to read the last half of chapter 11 together today, verses 16 to 33. And then in light of what Paul writes here to the Corinthians, we're going to take a look at what are the implications for our lives today as followers of Jesus. And so this is what Paul writes. And remember, he's just kind of in full stride here, continuing his defense of himself to them. And he's really going to call these other leaders to task. And one of the things these leaders have been doing is boasting about themselves to the Corinthians basically giving their commendation of why they are true messengers of Jesus. So they basically put their resume on the table and said, look at how great we are. And Paul had never done that, but Paul realizes, okay, to make a point here, Corinthians, I'm going to play their game. To make a point, I'm going to enter into the arena, and if, they, if you want to hear some boasting, I'm going to do some boasting today. And so this is what we see Paul doing. So verse 16 of chapter 11, 2 Corinthians, he says, I repeat... Let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. And so Paul just wants them to understand, look, even though I'm about to play the game, Understand, this is not how Jesus would have us do life. Like, this is not what it's about. This is the way the world boasts. This isn't what's right. But because apparently this is what you're after, I will play the game. And so verse 19, he says, You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Wow, you guys are so wise that you put up with people that treat you like garbage. I'm sorry that we failed you in not doing that when we were with you. Do you catch the sarcasm in Paul's writing here? And so he goes on and he says this, Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. And so now Paul is about to give the Corinthians his pedigree, his resume, And this is what he says regarding those other teachers that had come into church. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And now now Paul can't help but just say, I'm talking out of my mind. 
To talk like this is great. He can't help but say, like, look, to do this is stupid, but apparently this is what you want, so I'm going to do it. So are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder. And so now Paul is about to give them his resume. He's about to say, okay, you want to know why I am a true follower of Jesus, a true messenger of Jesus. You want to see how great I am. Here you go. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. And now this is kind of funny what Paul's doing here. Because when you think about putting your resume together, what do you usually put on your resume? The good stuff, right? Like here's how great I am. In fact, if Paul was really playing the game the way these other teachers were playing the game, he would be putting on his resume, let me tell you all the churches that I've started. Let me tell you how many people I have baptized. Let me tell you how many people have cried every time I've talked about Jesus and they've just been moved so deeply and we just all sang kumbaya together. Right? I mean, that's what you would expect Paul to do. And so here's the great thing about Paul, that even though he's playing the game, he's not playing it their way. He's playing it the way that he knows he's been called to represent Christ to them. And this is fascinating because this is one of the charges that they were bringing against him. Paul's life's a mess. And he's like, okay, you want my resume? Here I am. Here's the mess. But I want you to understand it's because my mess shows his greatness in my life. And so he says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been, in, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. So five times Paul was whipped nearly to death in his life. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my greatness. Just testing you this morning. (laughs) (laughs) that's not what he says is it and and yet that's what you would think that Paul would say if he was really playing the game the way these guys were playing the game because they're boasting about what their greatness and yet here's Paul now turning the tables back on them and saying okay you want my resume you want my claim to fame you want my letter of commendation then this is what I boast in I boast in my weakness And we'll see next week as Paul gets into the next chapter we're going to look at that one of the reasons why he learned to boast in his weakness is because he encountered weakness in his life, asked Jesus to help him with it, and Jesus said, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. In fact, next week is going to be a powerful week because it's going to help set the, the tone of everything we've been looking at in this series. And so Paul understood that if he's going to boast, the right way to boast is in his weakness because it's ultimately in his weakness that the power of God is seen most clearly. 
And so he goes on in verse 31. He says, The God and the Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. God knows I'm telling you the truth. And then he gives them an example of this. In verse 32, he says, In Damascus, the governor under King Eratus had the city of the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. So now he's about to tell them this great story of a powerful moment in his life. <laughs> he says, But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Like, you want a story of how cool I am? <laughs> you want a story of how powerful I am, how great I am? Let me tell you about the time when my life was threatened and I snuck out the back gate and ran for my life. And I love what Paul is doing in this part of his letter because he's really challenging the Corinthians about what they think is important in life. Because they had been taken by these false leaders who had presented themselves and their own greatness. And somehow that had swayed them from pursuing the one who was truly great. And so Paul comes in and says, okay, you want to play the game? I'll play the game. But in playing the game, he turns the tables and shows them what it looks like to boast the right way. And we see in this section of his letter that Paul really paints a picture for us that as we go through life, there are basically two ways that we can boast as we do life. And the first way that we can boast as we do life is this, is that we can boast in our greatness, right? You know anyone like that? You don't have to point or look at them right now, but I mean, do you know anyone like that in your life? In fact, this is what Paul's challenging them early on in, in this section. Look at what he says in verse 17 of chapter 11. He says, in this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool, since many are boasting in the way the world does. See, there is a way that the world boasts, and the way the world boasts, the way that we boast when we're doing it the way the world does, is when we boast about our own greatness. What Paul wants us to understand is that there's a radically different way to boast in life. And it's not about boasting in your greatness. It's about boasting in God's greatness. Which is why he says that if I'm going to boast, then I'm going to boast about the things that show my weakness. Because Paul understood that God's greatness is seen more clearly in his weakness. Not just in his own life and experiencing the power of God, but when someone else looks at Paul's life. Paul, you're a mess, I know, but look at how awesome God is because of what he's done and what he's doing in my life. And men and women, it's important that we understand this because there are serious implications for our lives when it comes to boasting. Because every single one of us boasts. The question is, are we boasting the right way? Because remember what Jesus said when we, those words that we looked at at the start of our time together, Matthew 23, 12? Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And if you understand the implications of what Jesus is saying there, this is what he means. All of us are destined for humility. The question is, will it be your choice or someone else's choice? Because if you're boasting about your greatness today, there's going to come a day where you will experience someone far greater than you, and he will put you in your place. Or you can acknowledge who he is today and humble yourself before him, and he will exalt you. He will lift you up to experience life as you were created to experience it. And so if we're going to learn to boast correctly, we need to learn to embrace humility as we go through life. And yet, I, I don't know about you, but have you ever wrestled with being humble? I mean being truly humble? Because being truly humble is a bit of a challenge, isn't it? 
How many of you are like me in this, in that you go through life and you're like, hey, I want to be humble so that people will see how great I am? <laughs> have you fallen into that trap? Like, even, even preparing for this weekend, and it's a talk on humility, I'm like, God, I want to do really well so people will think how good I am. Man, this is hard. How does one be truly humble when one is so taken with themselves? And what Paul has done in this letter to the Corinthians and reminding them and showing them is that he's ultimately pointing them to the one who can help them. He points us to the one who can help us if we're going to truly embrace humility. Look at what he says in 2 Corinthians as he gets into this whole section. Go back to the beginning of chapter 10. This section of his letter, as he really begins to take the Corinthians to task and to really challenge these leaders head on, look at how he starts this whole section of his letter. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 1, he says this. He says, by the humility and gentleness of who? Of Christ, I appeal to you. And so as Paul gets into this part of his letter, he understands that it has to flow from a place of humility, but he knows that it's not his humility. It's the humility of the one who's been at work in his life that enables him to truly be a humble person. And so if you and I are going to embrace humility, then we have to have a clear understanding of what humility looks like and ultimately the one who helps us to become that kind of person. And so what I want to do is to jump out of 2 Corinthians and take a look at something Paul wrote to another group of Christians in the first century where he gives us a clear picture of what humility looks like and how we can have the hope on earth to enter into it and embrace it. So do me a favor, turn your Bibles to the right to the book of Philippians. So keep flipping some pages till you hit a weird word, Philippians. And Paul writes some things to the Christians living in the city of Philippi to help them understand what humility looks like and how to embrace humility. And so read with me these words, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Paul says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. So ha have the same perspective on life. All Christians are called to have this kind of perspective on life. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves or consider others better than yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And in these words, Paul spells out very clearly what humility is. And if we're going to embrace humility, here's the first thing you need to understand about what it means to be humble. Humility means this. Humility means thinking of myself less and others more. That's what humility looks like. If we're going to embrace humility, we need to grab onto that idea today. That humility means thinking of myself less and others more. And it's important that you grasp that because I think a lot of times we have a misunderstanding of what humility is. I think a lot of times we think that humility means thinking less of myself 
But that's not what humility is. Humility is not about thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. And here's why it's important to understand that because I think a lot of times we fall into the trap of thinking that humility is an act of humiliation where I've so lowered myself that I have such a horrible self-esteem that therefore I will not think of anyone, you know what I mean? Like that's kind of like the game we play. Like we think like, oh, I have to have this lowly view of myself that, I, that way I won't like, you know, become arrogant. But that's a mistake because the person who is thinking of themselves inaccurately, so much so that they have a low view of themselves, they're making the same mistake as the person who has too high a view of themselves and thinks that they're, that's arrogance, right? Do you know what the mistake is that both people are making? They're looking at themselves. And so the person with low self-esteem is consumed with themselves in the same way that the person who is arrogant is consumed with themselves. And so humility does not mean thinking less of yourself. Humility means you have an accurate view of who you are. And then you get over yourself. Right? And here's why it's important that you understand that humility does not mean low self-esteem. Because Paul says to value others better than yourself. But if you have a low value of yourself and then you value others a little bit better than yourself, are you going to have a high view of other people? No. In fact, the healthier, view, the healthier your view of yourself is, the more better you're going to value others as you seek to treat them better than yourself. Which is why as we enter into relationship with Jesus, we realize how radically, incredibly loved we are. And he begins to reorient our life and we have a healthier view of ourselves in light of him at work in our life. And then the goal is to not be taken with yourself. The goal is to get over yourself so that you can now think of others more than you think of yourself. And that's what humility means. That's what it looks like. But it's incredibly hard, isn't it, to get over yourself? Because you go through life from the perspective of who you are. I mean, everything you see is oriented around you. You live in a culture that tells you it's all about you. And so how on earth do we get over ourselves? Well, Paul's about to show us in this section in Philippians. And so this is what the next thing of humility means. Humility not only means thinking of myself less and others more. Humility means looking at someone greater than myself. That if I am going to get over myself so that I can become a humble person, I need to be captured by somebody, captivated by someone who is greater than me. And so this is what Paul is pointing the Philippians to. And so in verse 5, he says this to them. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset or the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And what Paul is doing is he's pointing them to the one who is greater than them, the one who is ultimately our model of humility. And in this section, Paul is quoting what many scholars believe to be like an ancient Christian poem or ancient Christian hymn or song. And so in doing this, he's reminding them with one of their worship songs, who Jesus is. And so this is what he says. You're supposed to be like Jesus, so let me tell you who he is and what he's done for you. Verse 6, who, Jesus, being in very nature or the very form of God. Can I pause here because that little statement, Paul is throwing out some serious theology. What he wants us to understand is who Jesus is and that Jesus is God. And now we think, well, wait, what? I thought the Father was God. You're saying Jesus is God? Who's God? 
Yes. It's one of the reasons why this passage here and many others, it's one of the reasons why we have this doctrine called the Trinity to help us make sense of how we see God revealed to us in Scripture. And it's one of those doctrines that you kind of go like, okay, maybe I got it, right? But it's what makes the most sense of how we see God revealed to us. And what Paul wants us to understand is who Jesus was. And so don't get so hung up on the Trinity that you miss the point of what he's saying here. Because what he's showing us is who Jesus is and yet the incredible humility he had for us. So Jesus, who being in the very nature or form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature or being in the very form of a servant, being made in human likeness. And so stop and think of who Jesus is and what that meant for him to come for us as one of us. For Jesus to not consider his deity to be the thing that he'd hold on to, but that he willingly condescended himself to come and be with us in itself was an incredible act of humility. But that is not the only act of humility he demonstrated because look at what happens next. Verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Which is why Paul says if you want to know what humility looks like, you look at Jesus because he is far greater than you will ever be, and yet he shows us the ultimate act of humility. In fact, the impact that Jesus has had on world history, the impact the crucifixion has had on world history is the turning point in human history. Whether you believe that Jesus was who he said he was or not, you have been deeply impacted by Jesus because you live in a culture 2,000 years later that values humility as a virtue. Even if you don't always want to agree with it, you would never publicly say that because you realize you'd be blasted for it, right? Because you live in a culture that values humility, even if you think that maybe pride would be a good choice. You know why? It's because of the act of humility Jesus did by going to the cross. You go back to the ancient world, you go back to the Greeks and the Romans, and you look at their list of virtues. Do you know what is not on their list of virtues? Humility. You know what is on their list of virtues? Pride. Because why would I lower myself to your status when I'm supposed to elevate myself? That was the mindset of the ancient world. And yet when Jesus comes, he turns everything upside down on its head, so much so that when he grips a man or a woman, he instills himself, his values into them, and they become like him, and they impact the culture around him, so much so that our culture today values humility. Even though we're becoming an increasingly post-Christian culture, we still value humility, but we don't understand why anymore. It's because of Jesus. And so Paul wants us to understand who Jesus is. And so look at what happens now because of this act of humility. Remember what Jesus said, he who humbles himself will be exalted. He didn't just tell us those words, he experienced them in his own life. Because look at verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Jesus is our ultimate model of what humility looks like. Which is why we need him. 
if we're going to ultimately embrace humility because I need to get over myself and to be captivated by one who is far greater than me, one who shows me what humility looks like, one who is more beautiful, more good, that when I see Jesus, I realize I'm not that great, but he is, and I go to him and say, can you help me to be like you? Can you help me to embrace humility? And men and women, the beautiful thing about going to Jesus and being captivated by him and asking him to help you is that he will. And when you go to him and you say, Jesus, would you help me to get over myself? And would you help me be like you? Guess what you're engaging in? An act of humility. Because you're acknowledging your need for someone greater than yourself. And everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. And he will lift you up so that you can begin to experience the life you were created to live. And that is the beautiful thing about experiencing humility. Like when you get this, when you truly get humility, and I don't mean just the conceptual understanding of it, I mean when you truly embrace humility with him working in your life, empowering you to do it, when you truly get it, experientially get it, humility feels right. It just makes sense because that is how we were created to exist. And and so let me paint a picture for you for for a couple minutes here what humility will lead to when we truly get this right with his help, when we begin to embrace humility, what this will lead to. Because I want to do a couple things in pointing you towards these things. I think at one level, I want to maybe awaken within you a desire today to take this seriously and to pursue him so that you'll begin to embrace humility. But at the same time, I think I want to maybe affirm some of you and what you're experiencing in your life because oftentimes we think, well, am I being humble? Well, this is what humility will lead to. And if you're experiencing these things, then you're probably on the right path. But this is what humility will lead to when you get it, when you embrace it. First thing that humility will lead to is this. Humility leads to confidence. Wait a minute, what? I thought that was the problem. I thought it was my overconfidence that was the issue. It is. (laughs) Humility is not the absence of confidence. Humility is putting your confidence in the right person. And guess who that's not? Right? Yeah. Paul wanted the Corinthians to get this. He wanted them to understand this. And so he had written something to them in his previous letter so that they could begin to get this. Because living in Corinth was a very metropolitan area. People were taken with wisdom and, and being wise and nobility and trying to think that you were all that. And so, I mean, I don't, can you think of a culture that falls into that same trap today? <laughs> yeah. And so he's helping them understand something important about confidence, about humility, about how they're supposed to boast. And so look at there on your notes, 1 Corinthians 1, 25 to 31. This is what Paul writes to them. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. So when you were called into this new life, when you were called to be a follower of Jesus, think of what you were. He says this, not many of you were wise by human standards. I thought you were trying to help us feel confident, Paul, like... What are you doing? Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. That God chose you at your worst, not your best, so that when you stand before him, you can't say it's because of how great you are, but that you have to say it's how great he is. And so he says this, Paul says this to the Corinthians, it is because of him, it is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. It's not because of you, it's because of him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. Well, Paul, what do you mean by wisdom from God? Well, he explains it. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. That God has given us what we do not have in ourselves through Jesus. God has given us through Jesus righteousness. Righteousness means being made right or living life right according to God's design. The person who tries to do that on their own is called self-righteous. And the Bible is very clear that there is no one who is self-righteous enough to stand before God who is perfect. And so God has given us something we don't have in ourselves through Jesus. He's given us Jesus' righteousness. But not only that, he's given us holiness. Holiness means to be set apart for God. And so Jesus has now set us apart for God so that we could live for him in this world. So he's given us righteousness, holiness, and redemption. That Jesus has paid the price for our greatest failures so that we could be made right with God once again. And so Paul says this, Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, the goal in life is not to not boast. The goal in life is to learn how to boast the right way, which is to boast in him. And you're like, well, how is that supposed to make me feel better? Because it's not about you anymore. Men and women, that is good news to you. Because if it was about you, you would be in a world of hurt still. And the beautiful thing is that God has made our lives about Jesus now. And the reason that we can have confidence when we humble ourselves before him is because he has become everything on our behalf that we could never be on our own. And so I have confidence, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. I have confidence in life because of who I am in light of who he is and what he has done for me. And so when you truly begin to enter into a life of humility, you suddenly realize that you can have confidence like you never had before because it's no longer about you. But not only does humility lead to confidence, humility leads to this next thing as well. Humility leads to freedom as you live life. Here's why humility leads to freedom. It leads to freedom because I no longer have to bear the burden of trying to be what I was never created to be in the first place. That's the center of my own existence. Do you ever grow tired of trying to be the center of the universe? I mean, truly, think about it. I mean, that's how the majority of the world lives, as if it's all about us, isn't it? I mean, that's how we live as Americans, isn't it? 
It's all about me. It's all about my happiness, my comfort. I live as if I'm the center of the existence and my entire life is not about looking out for others or humbling myself before him. My life is about the pursuit of my greatness, my comfort, my security, my wealth. It's why we have this thing called the American dream. But are you weary of that dream? Because if that dream could fulfill us, why hasn't it? Why are we a nation that has more than everyone else in the world combined and yet we're so discontent? It's because when we try to make life about our greatness, we realize something truly tragic. We will be never great enough to be the center of our own existence. Which is why God created us to exist in relational orbit around him. God created us to exist in relational humility with him the one who is great enough to be the center of our existence because he is all that we are not. And what God wants us to understand is that it's not about you. It's about him. And there's nothing more free than realizing who you are in relationship to him and what he is in your life. That thing that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord, he's quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from the book of Jeremiah chapter 9. And I want you to see what God says to the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 9. There on your notes. This is what we see. It says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. Now pay attention, God is not saying if you're wise, become stupid, if you're strong, become weak, or if you're rich, become poor. What he's saying is don't boast about those things. He says, but let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight says the Lord. That what God wants for us is to experience the best of life. And the best of life is him. And catch what he says. Catch what God says. He says that he delights in these things. And I remember as I was preparing for this, I was reading that and I was like, God, these things, what are these things that you delight in? Do you know what God is saying that he delights in? He delights in his kindness, his justice, and his righteousness. God delights in himself. And I was kind of like taken back by that. And I was like processing it and thinking like, God, help me understand that because you're saying you delight in yourself. And if I were to say that about me, I'm just going to put that, I think that would be kind of arrogance. And, and so help me wrestle with this, God, because I know that I don't always get it. And I know that like I should probably humble myself before you in this moment considering who you are. But like help me get this. How is it okay for you to delight in yourself? And as I was wrestling with this, God kind of brought to mind this encounter that I had with my oldest daughter a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, I had just gone to visit her in her classroom, and I just brought with me a banana, because she likes bananas. So I show up to her class, and I give her a banana, and I just spend a couple minutes with her. How are you? What's going on? And she's like, fine, fine, you know, hugs, hugs, okay, have a good day, and I leave. Well, a little while later, the teacher texts me, and she texts me, and this is what the text basically says, Indy will not be quiet about you. She keeps saying, I have the best daddy in the world. 
And I remember reading that, and I was like too conflicted. Because at one level, I'm like, oh, that's what I want her to believe about me. And the other was like, and that's not true. <laughs> See, I mean, here's the thing. I know who I am far more than you do. I know my issues. I know my struggles. I know my shortcomings, which is why I need Jesus, which is why I follow after him with everything I've got, because I need everything he is. But if I, a messed up man, can still grasp that the goal of my life is to give the best of me that I can to my daughter, how much more true is that of God, who is absolutely good, holy and perfect, and the thing that he delights in is the greatest thing there is, which is himself, and his desire is to share himself with us so that we can know him. And what God says is, if you're going to boast about anything in life, boast that you know who I am in your life. And men and women, when we begin to do that, when we experience that, it leads us to a newfound freedom because suddenly I don't have to bear the burden I wasn't created to bear. I don't have to be what I was not meant to be. I am now made right with the one who is that in my life through what Jesus has done for me. And humility leads me to an incredible sense of freedom in life because I am now in right orbit with him once again. Humility will lead you to a place of confidence in life and humility will lead you to freedom in life. Which is why when you begin to embrace humility, it just feels right. But if you're going to do it, you need his help. You need to humble yourself before him. And say, would you help me to be like you? And let him lift you up to experiencing the life you were created to live. And so let me ask you a couple of questions this morning. Let me ask you some questions. These are just for you to examine your own life, your own heart, to help you gauge your heart today with where you're at with this issue of humility. Because humility has deep implications for our life. And so... Here's my first question for you this morning. How do you respond when somebody offends you? Because how you respond to offense reveals a whole lot about your understanding of what humility looks like. Uh, let me start off with just a little example, the little things. How do you respond when somebody offends you in little ways? Like when you're driving on the freeway, and that guy cuts you off, like you've been working the 405 traffic for like 30, 30 hours, and you're trying to get there, and at the last minute, some guy just cuts you off, and, right? How many of you in situations like that, this goes into your mind? Who does he think he is? Anyone? Anyone out there? Yeah. What does that reveal to you about who you think you are? that you are so offended that heaven and earth have come to a stop. Not just the 405, <laughs> right? So what does that reveal to you when you're offended? How about the bigger offenses? How do you respond when you are deeply wronged by someone in life? Do you know how the humble person responds when they are deeply wronged? They say this. Father, forgive them, 
for they do not know what they do. That's what Jesus said about the men who had just crucified him as he was hanging on the cross. As he was hanging on the cross for your offenses and my offenses. See, when you begin to grow and embrace humility, you realize that God is changing you at the core of who you are. And the humble person is the person who is willing to extend grace to the person who has offended them. The humble person is the person who is willing to extend the same grace that they have been given for the offenses they have caused against God. So what is offense revealed to you about your heart today? And is there some business that you need to ask God to begin to work on you and in you about? Here's my second question. As you think about this idea of humility, as you think about life, with your life, the way you live your life, the way you go about business, relationship, friendship, whatever it is, with your life, are you seeking to gain the praise or are you seeking to give the praise? Are you living your life for the glory of your fame or the glory of his name? You see, the humble person knows who deserves the credit for the life they're living. And so, how are you boasting today? And in whom are you boasting today? Because that's why we worship him, isn't it? We worship him because we want to acknowledge the one who is greatest in our life. We worship him because ultimately worship is an act of humility where we boast in his greatness together. And that's what we're going to do in this time, in this place, as we continue our worship here. And I want to encourage you to take into this time the things that God has maybe placed or stirred in your heart. I want to encourage you to go before him. And if God has been moving in you or commenting or tapping you on the shoulder or doing whatever he's been doing and saying, hey, this is about you, this is for you, I want to encourage you to bring that to him in this time and say, God, would you help me and humble yourself before him in this place so that you will experience him exalting you to live the life he's created you and set you free to live. Because that is what worship is. It's boasting in his greatness. And so would you stand and pray with me as we go into this time together? And so Father, here we are gathered together in your name in this place. And God, we want to enter in before you and we want to humble ourselves before you and acknowledge who you are and God, we want to declare your greatness together in this place, not because you need to be reminded of that, but because we need to be reminded of that. And so would you meet with us in this time as we boast in you with the sacrifice of our lips, the worship of our lips. And God, would you take the sacrifice of our gifts, our offerings in this place today, and would you use them to make your name great in these valleys? 
But God, in this place, we want to lift you high. We want to declare who you are, that you are a God who is great. We want to boast in you. Amen. Well, hey, if you're here this morning and you just want to process some things with some people or you want someone to pray for you, in the back of the room, there'll be some men and women over there who would love to just meet with you and love on you in that way. And I hope that you will be with us next week because next week we're going to look at something that Paul writes that really is going to help us make sense of almost the entire letter that he's been writing in 2 Corinthians. And it's some beautiful things that he has to share. It's going to be really good, so I'm looking forward to it. But until then, would you boast? And would you boast greatly? in the one who has set you free. God bless you. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For lead pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.